Chapters four and five of Cousin Maud by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Four, Little Louis. It is just one year since the summer morning when Mattie Kennedy took upon herself a second time the duties of a wife, and now she lies in a darkened room, her face white as the winter snow, and her breath scarcely perceptible to the touch as it comes faintly from her parted lips in dignified silence the doctor sits by counting her feeble pulse while an expression of pride and almost perfect happiness breaks over his face as he glances toward the cradle which hannah has brought from the garret and where now slept the child born to him that day his oft-repeated maxim that if the first were not a boy the second ought to be had prevailed at last and dumby had a son it was a puny thing but the father said it looked as nelly did when she first rested there and nelly holding back her breath and pushing aside her curls bent down to see the red-faced infant i was never as ugly as that and i don't love him a bit she exclaimed turning away in disgust while maud approached on tiptoe and kneeling by the cradle side kissed the unconscious sleeper whispering as she did so i love you poor little brother darling maud blessed maud in all your after-life you proved the truth of those low-spoken words i love you poor little brother for many days did mrs kennedy hover between life and death never asking for her baby and seldom noticing her husband who while declaring there was no danger still deemed it necessary in case anything should happen to send for his sister mrs kelsey who had not visited him since his last marriage she was a proud fashionable woman who saw nothing attractive in the desolate old house and who had conceived an idea that her brother's second wife was a sort of nobody whom he had picked up among the new england hills but the news of her illness softened her feelings in a measure and she started for laurel hill thinking that if mattie died she hoped a certain dashing brilliant woman called maud glendower might go there and govern the tyrannical doctor even as he had governed others it was late in the afternoon when she reached her brother's house from which nelly came running out to meet her accompanied by maud from the latter the lady at first turned disdainfully away but ere long stole another look at the brown-faced girl about whom there was something very attractive curtains as i live she exclaimed as she entered the parlour a piano and a marble table too where did these come from they are ma's and she's got a baby upstairs answered maud and the lady's hand rested for an instant on the little curly head for strange as it may seem she esteemed more highly a woman who owned a piano and handsome table than she did one whose worldly possessions were more limited after making some changes in her dress she went up to the sick-room and as mattie was asleep she had ample time to examine her face and also to inspect the room which showed in someone a refined and delicate taste she must be more of a lady than i supposed she thought and when at last her sister-in-law awoke she greeted her kindly and during her visit which lasted nearly two weeks she exerted herself to be agreeable succeeding so far that mattie parted from her at last with genuine regret poor thing she'll never see another winter was mrs kelsey's mental comment as she bade the invalid good-bye but in this she was mistaken for with the falling of the leaf mattie began to improve and though she never fully regained her health she was able again to be about the house doing far more than she ought to have done but never uttering a word of complaint however heavy was the burden imposed upon her with maud and her baby who bore the name of louis she found her greatest comfort he was a sweet playful child and sure never before was father so foolishly proud of his son as was dr kennedy of his 
for hours he would sit watching him while he slept and building castles of the future when louis kennedy only son of dr kennedy should be honoured among men toward the mother too who had borne him such a prodigy he became a little more indulgent occasionally suffering her wishes to prevail over his maxims and on three several occasions giving her a dollar to spend as she pleased surely such generosity did not deserve so severe a punishment as was in store for the proud father louis had a most beautiful face and in his soft brown eyes there was a look like the angels as maud once said to her mother who seldom spoke of him without a sigh for on her mind a terrible fear was fastening itself although mentally as forward as other children louis's body did not keep pace with the growth of his intellect and when he was two years of age he could not bear his weight upon his feet but in creeping dragged his limbs slowly as if in them there was no life no strength ma why don't louis walk asked maud one evening when she saw how long it took him to cross the room louis tan't walk answered the child who talked with perfect ease the tears came instantly to mrs kennedy's eyes for availing herself of her husband's absence she had that morning consulted another physician who after carefully examining louis's body had whispered in the poor woman's ear that which made every nerve quiver with pain while at the same time it made dearer a thousandfold her baby boy for a mother's pity increases a mother's love say ma what is it persisted maud will louis ever walk louis'll never walk answered the little fellow shaking his brown curls and tearing in twain a picture-book which his father had bought him the day before maud said mrs kennedy drawing her daughter to her side i must tell somebody or my heart will burst and laying her head upon the table she wept aloud don't try ma louis good lisped the infant on the floor while mrs kennedy drying at last her tears told to the wondering maud that louis was not like other children that he would probably never have the use of his feet that a hunch was growing on his back and he in time would be she could not say deformed and so she said at last he'll be forever lame poor little maud how all her childish dreams were blasted she had anticipated so much pleasure in guiding her brother's tottering footsteps in leading him to school to church and everywhere and she could not have him lame oh louis louis she cried winding her arms around his neck as if she would thus avert the dreaded evil very wonderfully the child looked up into her eyes and raising his waxen hand he wiped her tears away saying as he did so louis love maud with a choking sob maud kissed her baby brother then going back to her mother whose head still lay upon the table she whispered we will love poor louis all the more you and i blessed maud we say again for these were no idle words and the clinging tender love with which she cherished her unfortunate brother ought to have shamed the heartless man who when he heard of his affliction refused to be comforted and almost cursed the day when his only son was born he had been absent for a week or more and with the exception of the time when he first knew he had a son he did not remember of having experienced a moment of greater happiness than that in which he reached his home where dwelt his boy his pride his idol louis was not in the room and on the mother's face there was an expression of sadness which at once awakened the father's fears lest something had befallen his child where is louis he asked has anything happened to him that you look so pale louis is well 
answered Mattie, and then unable longer to control her feelings she burst into tears while the doctor looked on in amazement wondering if all women were as nervous and foolish as the two it had been his fortune to marry oh husband she cried feeling sure of his sympathy and thinking it better to tell the truth at once has it never occurred to you that louis was not like other children of course it has he answered quickly he is a thousand times brighter than any child i have ever known tisn't that tisn't that said mattie he'll never walk he's lame deformed what do you mean thundered the doctor reeling for an instant like a drunken man then recovering his composure he listened while mattie told him what she meant at that moment maud drew louis into the room and taking the child in his arms the doctor examined him for himself wondering he had never observed before how small and seemingly destitute of life were his lower limbs the bunch upon the back though slight as yet was really there and mattie when questioned said it had been there for weeks but she did not tell of it for she hoped it would go away it will stay until his dying day he muttered as he ordered maud to take the child away louis deformed louis a cripple what have i done that i should be thus sorely punished he exclaimed when he was alone with his wife and then as he dared not blame the almighty he charged it to her until at last his thoughts took another channel maud had dropped him he knew she had and mattie was to blame for letting her handle him so much when she knew twas a maxim of his that children should not take care of children he had forgotten the time when his worn-out wife had asked him to hire a nurse girl for louis and he had answered that maud was large enough for that on some points his memory was treacherous and for days he continued to repine at his hard fate wishing once in mattie's presence that louis had never been born oh husband she cried how can you say that do you hate our poor boy because he is a cripple a cripple roared the doctor never use that word again in my presence my son a cripple i can't have it so i won't have it so for tis a max here he stopped being for a second time in his life at a loss what to say sarve em right sarve em right muttered john whose quick eyes saw everything old sam payin em off good he think he'll be in the seventh heaven when he got a boy and he mighty nigh torment that little gal's life out with his maxins and things but now he got a boy he feel a heap like the bad place still much as john rejoiced that his master was so punished his heart went out in pity toward the helpless child whom he almost worshipped carrying him often to the fields where seeking out the shadiest spot and the softest grass for a throne he would place the child upon it and then pay him obeisance by bobbing up and down his woolly head in a manner quite as satisfactory to louis as if he indeed had been a king and john his loyal subject old hannah too was greatly softened and many a little cake and pie she baked in secret for the child while even nelly gave up to him her favourite playthings and her blue eyes wore a pitying look whenever they rested on the poor unfortunate all loved him seemingly the more all save the cruel father who as the months and years rolled on seemed to acquire a positive dislike to the little boy seldom noticing him in any way except to frown if he were brought into his sight and louis with the quick instinct of childhood learned to expect nothing from his father whose attention he never tried to attract as if to make amends for his physical deformity he possessed an uncommon mind and when he was nearly six years of age accident revealed to him the reason of his father's continued coldness and wrung from him the first tears he had ever shed for his misfortune 
he heard one day his mother praying that god would soften her husband's heart toward his poor hunchback boy who was not to blame for his misfortune and laying his head upon the broad arm of the chair which had been made for him he wept bitterly for he knew now why he was not loved that night as in his crib he lay watching the stars which shone upon him through the window and wondering if in heaven there were hunchback boys like him he overheard his father talking to his mother and the words that his father said were never forgotten to his dying day they were don't ask me to be reconciled to a cripple what good can he do me he will never earn his own living lame as he is and will only be in the way oh father father the crippled essayed to say but he could not speak so full of pain was his little bursting heart and that night he lay awake praying that he might die and so be out of the way the next morning he asked ma to draw him to the churchyard where his other mother as he called her was buried Maud complied and when they were there placed him at his request on the ground where stretching himself out at his full length he said look Maud, won't mine be a little grave then ere she could answer the strange question he continued i want to die so bad and if you leave me lying here in the long grass maybe god's angel will take me up to heaven will i be lame there think you oh louis louis what do you mean cried maud and as well as he could for the tears he shed louis told her what he meant father don't love me because i'm lame and he called me a cripple too what is a cripple maud is it anything very bad and his beautiful brown eyes turned anxiously toward his sister he had never heard that word before and to him it had a fearful significance even worse than lameness in an instant maud knelt by his side his head was pillowed on her bosom and in the silent graveyard with the quiet dead around them she spoke blessed words of comfort to her brother telling him what a cripple was and that because he bore that name he was dearer far to her your father will love you too she said when he learns how good you are he loves nelly and ere she could say more she was interrupted by louis on whose mind another truth had dawned and who now said but he don't love you as he does nelly why not are you a cripple too folding him still closer in her arms and kissing his fair white brow maud answered your father louis is not mine for mine is dead and his grave is far away i came here to live when i was a little girl not quite as old as you and nelly is not my sister though you are my darling brother and do you love father asked louis his eyes still fixed upon her face as if he would read the truth every feeling of maud remington's heart answered no to that question but she could not say so to the boy and she replied not as i could love my own father neither does he love me for i am not his child this explanation was not then wholly clear to louis but he understood that there was a barrier between his father and maud and this of itself was sufficient to draw him more closely to the latter who after that day cherished him if possible more tenderly than she had done before keeping him out of his father's way and cushioning his little crutches so they could not be heard for she rightly guessed that the sound of them was hateful to the harsh man's ears maud was far older than her years and during the period of time over which we have passed so briefly she had matured both in mind and body until now at the age of twelve she was a self-reliant little woman on whom her mother wholly depended for comfort and counsel very rapidly was mrs kennedy passing from the world and as she felt the approach of death she leaned more and more upon her daughter 
talking to her often of the future and commending louis to her care when with her he would be motherless maud's position was now a trying one for when her mother became too ill to leave her room and the doctor refused to hire extra help saying two great girls were help enough it was necessary for her to go into the kitchen where she vainly tried to conciliate old hannah who wouldn't mind a chit of a girl and wouldn't fret herself either if things were not half done from the first nelly resolutely refused to work it would black her hands she said and as her father never remonstrated she spent her time in reading admiring her pretty face and drumming upon the piano which maud who was fonder even than nelly of music seldom found time to touch one there was however who gave maud every possible assistance and this was john having tried his hand as he said at everything in master norton's school he proved of invaluable service sweeping dusting washing dishes cleaning knives and once ironing dr kennedy's shirts when old hannah was in what he called her tantrums but alas for john the entire print of the iron upon the bosom of one to say nothing of the piles of starch upon another and more than all the tremendous scolding which he received from the owner of said shirt warned him never to turn laundress again and in disgust he gave up his new vocation devoting his leisure moments to the cultivation of flowers which he carried to his mistress who smiled gratefully upon him saying they were the sweetest she had ever smelt and so each morning a fresh bouquet was laid upon her pillow and as she inhaled their perfume she thought of her new england home which she would never see again thought too of janet whose cheering words and motherly acts would be so grateful to her now when she so much needed care tis a long time since i've heard from her she said one day to maud suppose you write to-morrow and tell her i am sick tell her too that the sight of her would almost make me well and maybe she will come and on the sick woman's face there was a joyous expression as she thought how pleasant it would be to see once more one who had breathed the air of her native hills had looked upon her harry's grave nay had known her harry when in life and wept over him in death poor lonesome homesick woman janet shall surely come in answer to your call and ere you deem it possible her shadow shall fall across your threshold her step be heard upon the stairs her hand be clasped in yours five mrs janet blodgett it was a chilly rainy afternoon toward the latter part of august john was gone the doctor was cross and hannah was cross nelly too was unusually irritable and venting her spite upon hannah because there was nothing for dinner fit to eat and upon maud because the house was so desolate and dark she crept away upstairs and wrapping a shawl round her sat down to a novel pausing occasionally to frown at the rain which beat at the windows or the wind as it roared dismally through the trees while thus employed she heard the sound of wheels and looking up saw standing before their gate a muddy wagon from which a little dumpy figure in black was alighting carefully holding up her alpaca dress and carrying in one hand a small box which seemed to be full of flowers she must have come to stay a long time thought nelly as she saw the piles of baggage which the driver was depositing upon the stoop who can it be she continued as she recalled all her aunts and cousins and found that none of them answered the description of this woman who knocked loudly at the door and then walked in to shelter herself from the storm for lornity nelly heard her exclaim as she left the chamber in answer to the summons for lornity no table no hat-stand no nothing and the dingiest old oilcloth what does it mean your servant miss 
she added dropping a curtsey to nelly who now stood on the stairs with her finger between the pages of her book so as not to lose the place i guess i've made a mistake said the woman is this dr kennedy's it is answered nelly and the stranger continued dr kennedy who married the widow remington the same returned nelly thinking how unmercifully she would tease maud should this prove to be any of her relations and who be you asked the stranger feeling a little piqued at the coldness of her reception i am miss helen dr kennedy's daughter answered the young lady assuming an air of dignity which was not at all diminished by the very expressive mortal which dropped from the woman's lips can i do anything for you asked nelly and the stranger answered yes go and call maud but don't tell her who i am she forgot that nelly did not herself know who she was and sitting down upon her trunk she waited while nelly hurried to the kitchen where over a smoky fire maud was trying in vain to make a bit of nicely brown toast for her mother who had expressed a wish for something good to eat here maud called out nelly your grandmother or aunt has come i guess and wants to see you in the hall it's janet it's janet i know screamed maud and leaving her slice of bread to burn and blacken before the fire she hurried away while nelly who had heard nothing of the letter sent the week before wondered much who the witched old thing with the poking black bonnet could be with a cry of delight maud wound her arms around the neck of her old nurse whom she knew in a moment though janet had more difficulty in recognizing the little girl of other years in the womanly-looking maiden before her it beats all how you've changed she said though your eyes and hair are the same and she passed her hand caressingly over the short glossy curls then looking intently in maud's face she continued you've grown handsome child no no not handsome janet nelly is the beauty of the house and maud shook her head mournfully for on the subject of beauty she was a little sensitive her sister always pronouncing her a fright and manifesting a most unamiable spirit if any one complimented her in the least what that yaller-haired white-faced chit who went for you rejoined janet no such thing but tell me now of your marm how sick is she and what of the little boy is he much deformed come in here said maud leading the way into the parlour and drawing a chair close to janet she told all she deemed it necessary to tell but the quick-witted janet knew there was something more and casting a scornful glance around the room she said you are a good girl maud but you can't deceive an old girl like me i knew by the tremblin' way you writ that something was wrong and started the first blessed mornin after gettin your letter i was calculating to come pretty soon anyway and had all my arrangements made so i can stay a good long spell always mebby for i'm a widder now and she heaved a few sighs to the memory of mr joel blodgett who she said had been dead a year adding in a whisper but there's one consolation he willed me all his property and she drew from her belt a huge silver timepiece which she was in the habit of consulting quite often by way of showing that she could carry a watch as well as the next one after a little her mind came back from her lamented husband and she gave maud a most minute account of her tedious ride in a lumber wagon from canandaigua to laurel hill for the stage had left when she reached the depot and she was in too great a hurry to remain at the hotel until the next morning but what of that doctor do you like him she said at last and maud answered never mind him now 
let us see mother first or rather let me see to her dinner and she arose to leave the room you don't like him continued janet and i knew you wouldn't but your poor mother i pity her didn't you say you was gettin her somethin to eat she's had a good time waitin but i'll make amends by seein to her dinner myself in spite of maud's endeavours to keep her back she followed on into the disorderly kitchen from which nelly had disappeared and where old hannah sat smoking her pipe as leisurely as if on the table there were not piles of unwashed dishes to say nothing of the unswept floor and dirty hearth what a hole was janet's involuntary exclamation to which hannah responded a most contemptuous huh and thus was the war-cry raised on either side what was you goin to git for your mother asked janet without deigning to notice the portly african who smoked on in dignified silence toast and tea answered maud and casting a deprecating glance at the fire janet continued you can't make any toast fit for a heathen to eat by that fire ain't there any dry wood kindlin nor nothin and she walked into the woodshed where spying a pine board she seized the axe and was about to commence operations when hannah called out oh marston'll be in your hire if you attach that i ain't afraid of your old marster answered janet and in a moment the board which dr kennedy would not suffer john to use because he might want it for something was crackling on the fire the hearth was swept the tea-kettle hung in the blaze and then with a look of perfect delight janet sat down to make the toast fixing it just as she knew mattie liked it best biled eggs will be good for her digester and if i only had one dropped in water she said and quick as thought maud brought her one while hannah growled again old marster'll raise the roof cause he put em away to sell old marster be hanged muttered janet breaking not one but three into the water for her own stomach began to clamour for food everything was ready at last a clean towel covered the server the fragrant black tea was made the boiled egg was laid upon the toast and then janet said she ought to have a relish preserves jelly baked apple or something and she opened a cupboard door while hannah springing to her feet exclaimed quit that thar ain't no sich truck in dis house but janet's sharp eye had discovered behind a pile of papers rags and dried herbs a tumbler of currant jelly which hannah had secretly made and hidden away for her own private eating hannah's first impulse was to snatch the jelly from janet's hand but feeling intuitively that in the resolute scotchwoman she had a mistress and fearing lest maud should betray her to the doctor she exclaimed if that ain't the very stuff miss ruggles sent in for miss mattie i forgot it till this blessed minute and shutting the cupboard door she stood with her back against it lest janice should discover sundry other delicacies hidden away for a like purpose mother has not had a feast like this and she'll enjoy it so much said maud as she started up the stairs followed by janet who ere they reached the chamber suddenly stopped saying i tell you what is if she knows i'm here she won't eat a mouthful so you say nothing and when she's through i'll come this seemed reasonable to maud who leaving janet to look through a crevice in the door entered alone into her mother's presence mrs kennedy had waited long for maud and at last weary with listening to the rain which made her feel so desolate and sad she fell asleep as little louis at her side had done before her but maud's cheering voice awoke her look mother she cried see the nice dinner and her own eyes fairly danced as she placed the tray upon the table before her mother who scarcely less pleased exclaimed a boiled egg and jelly too i've wanted them both so much 
how did it happen eat first and then i'll tell you answered maud propping her up with pillows and setting the server in her lap it tastes like old times like janet said the invalid and from the room without where janet watched there came a faint choking sound which maddie thought was the wind and which maud knew was janet through the door she caught sight of her mistress whose white wasted face wrung from her that cry stuffing her handkerchief into her mouth she waited until toast tea egg and all had disappeared then with the exclamation she's et em all up slick and clean she walked into the room it would be impossible to describe that meeting when the poor sick woman bowed her weary head upon the motherly bosom of her faithful domestic weeping most piteously while janet folded her lovingly in her arms saying to her soothingly nay now matty darling nay my bonny bird take it easy like take it easy and you'll feel better you won't leave me will you sobbed matty feeling that it would not be hard to die with janet standing near no honey no answered janet i'll stay till one or t'other of us is carried down the walk and across the common where them gravestones is standin which i noticed when i drove up it will be me janet it will be me said matty they will bury me beneath the willows for the other one is lying there oh so peacefully louis by this time was awake and taking him upon her lap janet laughed and cried alternately mentally resolving that so long as she should live she would befriend the little helpless boy whose face she said was far winsomer than any she had ever seen then followed many mutual inquiries during which maddy learned that janet was a widow and had really come to stay if necessary i'm able now to live as i please for i've got property said janet again consulting the silver watch as she usually did when speaking of her husband's will many questions too did maddy ask concerning her former home her friends her flowers and harry's grave was it well kept now or was it overrun with weeds to this last question janet did not reply directly but making some excuse for leaving the room she soon returned bearing in one hand a box in which a small rose-bush was growing in the other hand she held a beautiful bouquet which having been kept moist looked almost as fresh as when it was first gathered this she gave to matty saying they grew on harry's grave i picked em myself yesterday morning before i left and this pointing to the rose-bush is a root i took from there last spring on purpose for you for i meant to visit you this fall need we say those flowers were dearer to maddy than the wealth of the indies would have been they had blossomed on harry's grave his dust had added to them life and as if they were indeed a part of him she hugged them to her heart kissing them through her tears and blessing janet for the priceless gift don't tell him though she whispered and a deep flush mounted to her cheek as on the stair she heard a heavy footstep and knew that dr kennedy was coming he had been in the kitchen demanding of hannah whose is all that baggage in the hall and hannah glad of an opportunity to free her mind had answered some low-lived truck or other that they call janet and a body'd s'pose she owned the house the way she went on splittin up your board for kindlin makin mrs toast swim in butter and a bilin three of them eggs you laid away to sell if she stays here this nigger won't that's my opinion and feeling greatly injured she left the kitchen while dr kennedy with a dark moody look upon his face started for the sick-room he knew very well who his visitor was and when his wife said husband this is my faithful janet or rather mrs blodgett now 
wasn't it kind in her to come so far to see me he merely nodded coolly to mrs blodgett who nodded as coolly in return then turning to his wife he said you seem excited my dear and this ought not to be tis a maxim of mine that company is injurious to sick people what do you think mrs blodgett mrs blodgett didn't think anything save that he was a most disagreeable man and as she could not say this in his presence she made no particular answer glancing toward the empty plate which stood upon the table he continued hannah tells me my dear that you have eaten three boiled eggs i wonder at your want of discretion when you know how indigestible they are and his eye rested reprovingly on janet who now found her tongue and starting up exclaimed one biled egg won't hurt anybody's digester if it's ever so much out of kilter but the jade lied two of them eggs i cooked for myself and i'll warrant she's guzzled them down before this anyway i'll go and see and she arose to leave the room just as she reached the door the doctor called after her saying mrs blodgett i observed a trunk or two in the lower hall which i presume are yours will you have them left there or shall i bring them up to your chamber you will stay all night with us of course for an instant janet's face was crimson but forcing down her wrath for mattie's sake she answered i shall probably stay as long as that and slamming together the door she went downstairs while mattie said sadly oh husband how could you thus insult her when you knew she had come to stay a while at least and that her presence would do me so much good how should i know she had come to stay when i've heard nothing about it was the doctor's reply and then in no mild terms he gave his opinion of the lady said opinion being based on what old hannah had told him there were tears in mattie's eyes and they dropped from her long eyelashes as taking the doctor's hand she said husband you know that i'm going to die that ere the snow is falling you will be a second time alone and you surely will not refuse me when i ask that janet shall stay until the last when i am gone you will perhaps be happier in the remembrance that you granted me one request there was something in the tone of her voice far more convincing than her words and when she added she does not expect wages for she has money of her own dr kennedy yielded the point prophesying the while that there would be trouble with hannah meantime mrs blodgett had wended her way to the kitchen meeting in the way with nelly around whose mouth there was a substance greatly resembling the yolk of an egg thus prepared for the worst janet was not greatly disappointed when she found that her eggs had been disposed of by both the young lady and hannah the latter of whom was too busy with her dishes to turn her head or in any way acknowledge the presence of a second person joel blodgett's widow ought to be above having words with a nigger was janet's mental comment as she contented herself with a slice of bread and a cup of tea which by this time was of quite a reddish hue her hunger being satisfied she began to feel more amiably disposed toward the old negress whose dishes she offered to wipe this kindness was duly appreciated by hannah and that night in speaking of janet to her son she pronounced her not quite so ornery a white woman as she at first took her to be as the days wore on janet's presence in the family was felt in various ways to mattie it brought a greater degree of happiness than she had experienced since she left her new england home while even the doctor acknowledged an increased degree of comfort in his household though not willing at first to attribute it to its proper source he did not like janet her ideas were too extravagant for him and on several different occasions he hinted quite strongly that she was not wanted there 
but janet was perfectly invincible to hints and when at one time he embodied them in language that could not be misunderstood telling her twas a maxim of his that if a person had a home of their own they had better stay there she promptly replied that twas a maxim of hers to stay where she pleased particularly as she was a woman of property and so as she pleased to stay there she stayed it took but a short time for her to understand the doctor and to say that she disliked him would but feebly express the feeling of aversion with which she regarded him not a word however would mattie admit of past or present unkindness neither was it necessary that she should for janet saw it all saw how old maxim as she called him had worried her life away and while cherishing for him a sentiment of hatred she strove to comfort her young mistress who grew weaker and weaker every day until at last the husband himself aroused to a sense of her danger strove by little acts of kindness unusual in him to make amends for years of wrong experience is a thorough teacher and he shrank from the bitter memories which spring from the grave of a neglected wife and he would rather that mattie when she died should not turn away from him shuddering at his touch and asking him to take his hand from off her brow just as one brown-haired woman had done this feeling of his was appreciated by janet who in proportion as he became tender toward mattie was respectful to him until at last there came to be a tolerably good understanding between them and she was suffered in most matters to have her own way with john she was a special favourite and through his instrumentality open hostilities were prevented between herself and his mother until the latter missed another cup of jelly from its new hiding-place then indeed the indignant african announced her intention of going at once to miss ruggles who had offered her twelve shillings a week and a heap of leisure let her go said john who knew mrs ruggles to be a fashionable woman the mother of nine children whose ages varied from one to fifteen let her go she'll be glad to come back and the sequel proved he was right for just as it was beginning to grow light on the second day of her absence some one rapped at his window and a half-crying voice whispered let me in john i've been out to sarvice enough john complied with the request and when janet came down to the kitchen how was she surprised at finding hannah there leisurely grinding her coffee with an innocent look upon her sable face as if nothing had ever happened john's raillery however loosened her tongue at last and very minutely she detailed her grievances she had done a two weeks washing besides all the work and the whole of them young ones under her feet into the bargain then at night when she hoped for a little rest mrs ruggles had gone off to a party and stayed till midnight leaving her with that squallin brat but never you mind said she i poured a little paragol down its throat or my name ain't hannah and with a sigh of relief at her escape from miss ruggles she finished her story and resumed her accustomed duties which for many weeks she faithfully performed finding but little fault with the frequent suggestions of mrs janet blodgett whose rule in the household was for the time being firmly established End of chapters four and five